Hello, much love and light. This is Mahatma Starseed, and you are tuning into another wonderful episode with EM Healing. I have with us today another awesome co-host guest. I'm going to allow her to introduce herself before we dive into the episode. Her name is Melanie Gibson, and I'm going to let her share with y'all, the audience, who she is. Take it away. Hello. Thank you, Mahatma. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. You are welcome. All right. And hello to all the listeners. So my name is Melanie Gibson. Uh, I'm a, a native Texan, live in Fort Worth, Texas. I'm a writer. I'm a Taekwondo second degree black belt. I'm a, a seeker. Uh, I'm on my own healing journey and uh, I am a, uh, a recent author. And, and so I've come here to, to share my story of healing with you and the rest of the world. Thank you so very much. And I just want to add to the audience that has been riding with us for some time now. Thank you so much for allowing you to be a part of this healing. Everybody is going through a transition and a shift. And the way that we uh, uplift ourselves through it is that we are healing through the moment. And today, Melanie is going to share with us one of the biggest situations that a lot of us are working on healing from right now, and that is the topic of abusive relationships. And I am here with you, and I commend you and I honor you for sharing this story. It's so pivotal and dynamic of you uh, your story of where you've been and how you've gotten here. So I'm gonna I'm gonna allow myself to be silent while you can open up the conversation about where this journey began for you and how you were able to heal from it. All right, thank you. So this is a, a big topic to dive into. So uh, I'll try to start at the beginning and. And, and get to the point I'm making, but um, I just want to say kind of as a blanket statement that, that abusive relationships are unfortunately common and, and people find themselves in them, uh, find themselves with loved ones in them, and um, it can be very difficult for the person in that relationship, and it's also difficult for the people who love them. So um, I'm a, I've unfortunately been in more than one abusive relationship, um, starting my my first really serious boyfriend is, is, uh, thought we really loved each other. And I, I craved the attention and I'll get into that in a moment. Um, and it turned to the point where it was controlling. And I think for me, without delving into my entire childhood, um, you can read about some of that in my memoir is that, uh, you know, I had some probably depression and anxiety, bipolar disorder stemming from a very young age. Um, and unfortunately I did not seek treatment for that until I was older. So some of those mental habits were there, uh, low self-esteem, lack of confidence. And so when you have that um, and you have that void in your heart and your soul, you start seeking validation elsewhere. Um, sometimes we do that through achievements at school or sports or work. And I was one of those people who started seeking validation through relationships, um, not so much friendships. And I, I uh, actually pushed a lot of friends away. I, I wanted to have a boyfriend or a husband or somebody to say, yes, you are worthy, you are beautiful, you are perfect, you are loved, because I couldn't say that to myself. 
So I got in these habits as I was going along through my teenage years and my young adulthood of um, chasing after relationships for that validation. And I will say I've I'd had some really wonderful boyfriends. They were great people. Um, but, but there was always that habit with me is that I was demanding love and attention and validation. And eventually that's going to crash and burn. Either, either they left or I attracted a type of relationship that was uh, abusive because that can really play off of each other of the codependency. Um, I'll, I'll spend some time talking about the last relationship I had, which was, you know, hopefully the final one is, is detailed in my memoir. So um, I'll just say that really quickly. So I've got a memoir coming out in April called Kicking and Screaming, a Memoir of Madness and Martial Arts. And that details my uh, journey through finally getting treatment for my mental health problems and um, using martial arts to kind of be that final nail in the coffin. I wouldn't say I'm totally cured, but I have made a lot of mental changes through practicing martial arts and growing that confidence. What's very interesting is during that time of going from a white belt to a black belt and uh, kind of an uncontrolled mental illness into something that's more, uh, more able to deal with is that I was in a really toxic relationship, uh, classic, narcissist gaslighter i hate to use the term gaslighting because it's so overdone it's been used a lot lately but boy classic signs and i just i fell hook line and sinker uh he was giving me the attention i wanted told me how beautiful i was said we were perfect together said the magic m word of oh i could see myself marrying you and i yeah. fell for it Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah that is a big um, that is a big uh, indicator uh, of um, of helping people to imagine things in the future instead of being in the present. Mm-hmm. And that's a big indicator, red flag. It is. It is on both sides because someone like that is looking for easy prey and they'll dangle a future. Um, but then also I'll, I'll think back to some of my other relationships as I put all kind of put all my cards on that future. And I demanded that future from men who, you know, just maybe they didn't feel the same way about me. They, they knew they couldn't give me that. And so I also set up those expectations for people and when they couldn't fulfill it, you know, I feel devastated. I'm angry. I, I lash out. Um, so that, that was some of my problems with past relationships that I always had that future because in that future, it's that, well, if only this happens, I'll be happy because I was lacking that internal happiness, that internal satisfaction, um, that ability to cope with the stressors in life and, uh, really do self-care. And so that future of happiness was, you know, I, I grew up fishing. So you have that, that bait in front of that fish and I just grabbed it like, like a, like a catfish out of the lake. And so, excuse me. And so I always had that in front of me and um, in a narcissist, classic narcissist relationship, there's a lot of a, what they call love bombing at the beginning. Oh, you're so beautiful. You're so wonderful. You've probably heard that term before. And there was a lot of that. And then uh, he was Dr. Jekyll at first. And then Mr. Hyde came out and, um, we get very gruff. Oh, you know, I didn't mean it. I don't really want to be in a relationship with you. I, um, I think we should go our separate ways. That was his favorite term to use. If I dared disagree 
if I didn't say the right thing, if uh, he didn't like the way I, I was dressing or what I weighed, it was we should go our separate ways. So I just, again, I'm, I'm, I've got that carrot in front of me of, oh, well, once we get past these issues, I'll be happy. I'll have the validation I want. I'll have the relationship that I want always in the future. So I started to tolerate a lot of criticism, uh, emotional abuse, verbal abuse, so I could get that carrot. Um, one of the biggest points of contention was that um, he had this fixation on having a baby. Now, you know, people's reproductive choices are, are their, their business. If they want to have 10 kids, if they want to have zero kids, that's fine. Uh, I'm, I'm personally child-free by choice, but um, I kind of tried to acquiesce and say, okay, well, maybe I'll, I'll agree to have a baby because that's what he thinks he wants. And, um, you know, on, on my part, I should have stood my ground and set that boundary and said, you know, no, um, if you want kids, bye, then we can't have a relationship. But um, I, I hung on to that saying, well, yeah, maybe I'll think about it to keep him. And he would kind of do the same thing of, you know, well, I'll keep you if you toe the line, if, if you do what I say, if you act the way I want, if you keep yourself as thin as I want. And that became a, a big like I said, a big point of contention that, that goes throughout the book of, um, of, of that disagreement. And I was never really sure why he wanted a child. He already had other children. Um, I don't know if it was an ego thing, if it was a control thing. Um, I, I dreaded the uh, criticism I'm sure I would get for uh, gaining weight during pregnancy, if the pregnancy didn't go perfectly, if, if childcare didn't go perfectly. Uh, I knew that would be an absolute nightmare. So uh, it's a good thing I, I, I did not have children with him. Um, that relationship is over, but that was just another way of control. And, and reproductive coercion is a type of abuse, whether it's yeah. a man doing it, a woman doing it, uh, whatever your gender identity is, whatever your relationship status is. If you're a, a, a somebody begging your kids for grandkids, is that it's it's not cool. It, it takes away someone's bodily autonomy. It takes away their choices, whether they they want to have children or not. And, and I think that is a form of abuse that we often don't talk about, but it's out mm. there. Um, it could be, it takes different forms. It could be, you know, somebody wants to have a child and their partner forces them to terminate the pregnancy, or they force them to have a child that they may not be able to afford or, or their mental or physical health can take a toll. Um, so that, that, Great. that's a big one. Greatly. You know, that, that really sparks for me, Melanie, uh, what what I experienced in, in my relationship, because uh, I have three children, and uh, I definitely went into it willingly with uh, my second child, and I felt that coercion uh, when I after I immediately after I gave birth because I was looking to just take a break because I was you know my body just went through giving birth to a child. And I ended up getting pregnant within like three months of having a uh, my second child. And I love I love the fact that I ended up with a daughter because I had two kids first that were boys. And I was like, well, I'm going to have another kid. God, please let it be a female. And, you know, like that was the support that I needed to be able to just turn around what I was experiencing and I'm no, I'm no longer in that relationship anymore. And it has been trying to keep that balance because that coercion is 
is is smeared through all the different ways that we engage with each other. So um, trust me when I say that, you know, you did a good thing with making sure um, that you saw where it was taking you. So thank you Mm -hmm. for sharing that part. Yeah, thank you. I want to share one more thought on that is that it can be a lonely thing for a, a female who doesn't want to have children because it seems like in our, at least in American culture, the women are always the ones begging for babies or, you know, I'm going to trick my boyfriend into, you know, poke a hole in the condom or whatever like that. They'll, they'll trick them into it or they'll trap them or things like that. And sometimes that happens, but, um, and I question this in my book too, where are those stories of women who have boyfriends or husbands or partners who are um, demanding children because it seems like it's often the reverse that in society, women stereotypically are the ones who want the children and the men have to be kind of uh, dragged along into parenthood. So um, I know there are people like me out there, but uh, we don't hear our voices very often. Oh yeah, definitely. It's definitely true. And um, I've, I've, I've seen it happen uh many times I have a I had a I have a friend who's still a friend of mine and he has uh, several kids and uh seeing how much people want to have a, a child with him and he's like <laughs> and it's it's such a, a flip and a reverse but uh my my kids my kid's father I, I don't mind speaking about what I experienced because it needs to be heard and um and he's definitely experienced it on on the flip side because he he's been trying to still have like more babies with me and I'm like I've tied my I tied my tube right after I had my first child cuz I was like you know what no I'm not going to be one of those females that just keep getting pregnant because a male mm-hmm. wants to have a baby with me so I tied my tubes I haven't had a kid in 12 years um, I would I like to have more kids? Yes, but it's gonna be on my terms, you know. And um, it it and it needs to be that way because we cannot be so rushed to bring a new life into this world as we're looking to honor the one we already have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you did that for you and and honored your your body and your psyche and and everything else. And and that's how I feel too. Um, I think a, a child should be wanted. And um, I knew that wasn't going to happen with me. Um, I wanted to segue to a different topic because I have a note that I'm looking at right now that says perfectionism is dangerous when it pays. And that has been a theme in my life <laughs> is that um, I'm, I seem very driven externally. And that can sometimes be a problem because when you ask for help, people don't believe you. So I've, I've got a couple of college degrees. I have a good corporate career um, seemingly in good health. Um, some of that is just, you know, went to school, did, did what I thought I needed to do to survive. And I don't regret any of that. I have a good life. Um, but a lot of it is driven by perfectionism and that can play into staying in an abusive relationship. Um, and this comes up in the book a couple of times is that, you know, he would say something harmful or there would be tension or it would just be, you know, it's, it's not a good situation. I, I, I Somebody who, who didn't have kind of my mental afflictions might think, well, it's time to leave. But I thought that I was responsible for making this relationship work. I had to make it work. I had to be perfect. 
I had to tolerate the behavior. Um, and this, mm. this pattern has shown up in the past in, in uh, abusive or unhealthy relationships because it wasn't so much the accomplishment of, you know, oh, you have the label of you're a girlfriend or you're a wife or you're a partner. It's that to me, the alternative of being single was worse. Now I know that's not true, but for me, now that I look back on it, it was like another accomplishment, like, well, I've got to get this project done for work because that's what you do. Well, I've got to finish my classes and get this degree because that's what you do. And then so with the relationships, it's, well, I'll, I'll tolerate mistreatment because I don't want to chase him away if I stand up to him. I will try to change the way my body looks or downplay my opinions because that keeps the peace. Um, and, and I know there are probably a lot of people right now in those situations who they may not be cognizant that they're doing that, but that's probably what they're doing if they've got the, the quote unquote success of the relationship all on their shoulders. Yes. Yes. So I have a question for you. Um, Cause in, in, in your book, it speaks about how you stepped into Taekwondo. Mm-hmm. What, why did you choose that to help you cope with what you were going through? That was a great question. Um, I had gotten to my emotional rock bottom around, it was around 2013. I was in my early thirties. Now I had been in treatment for my uh, mental health, my mental illnesses for a couple of years. I, I was on medication. I still am. And I was seeing a therapist and it was working. Um, but I was still making bad choices. I was still, I still lacked a lot of self-awareness. I was still, you know, chasing after relationships. I was still chasing after external validation. And I finally got to a point where I thought, I am tired of feeling this way. Um, and, and I will say medication is not a magic bullet. Therapy is not a magic bullet. It's, it's you still have to do the work on your own. And I was not really doing that. And so in the back of my mind, I, I thought, I even told my mom this at one point, you know, if this relationship I'm in doesn't work out or if I get bored, I want to do Taekwondo again. I had done Taekwondo when I was uh, about 10 years old up until about 12. Um, I told my parents at one point that I wanted to do karate. I, that was the only, you know, everybody knows what karate is. I, had no, I still can't remember why. I was a pretty quiet kid. I loved to draw and read and write stories. I didn't even really like playing with other kids. Uh, the only sport I was really good at was swimming. But I w- said I wanted to do karate. So there just happened to be in uh, the little town where I grew up, a Taekwondo school. Uh, taekwondo is a Korean martial art. It's very similar to karate. It's a lot of hand strikes, uh, kicks, fighting, uh, forms, things like that. So, um, there, and there are different styles, so I won't get to get into all of that. But um, it was, we went and watched a class and it just felt magical. I, I loved the movement. I loved the discipline. I'm, I have a pretty, I'm a pretty disciplined, organized person, and that really appeals to me with martial arts. And I fell in love with it. So my whole family did it for a couple of years. Um, and then we quit around the time I, I went into junior high. Just, you know, life got in the way and we stopped doing it. So then um, I discovered that my uh my teacher's grandmaster so my teachers were out in snyder texas the town where i grew up they they reported to a grandmaster who is a higher rank than them and um he is a, a old school korean grandmaster trained in the 1950s he worked with the u.s military and then he came to the united states 
So he ran his school in Fort Worth, Texas, about five miles from where I lived. And I remembered him. He would show up at our tests and our tournaments, and he would just kind of look at you with this stern look on his face, and he was very intimidating. Um, so I mm-hmm. thought, okay, I'm not even looking anywhere else. That That is faith. That's the universe. That's God. That's something saying, I need to go train with him. Um, so, so I met with him and talked and it was, it was nice because we could gossip about people we both knew from Snyder. And, um, Mm -hmm. and then I started and it was, it was like going home again. It was, it's kind of, you know, like they say, like riding a bike, like my body remembered it and, um, that I just needed a, you know, what I really did it was not, not to learn self-defense, not to get in shape. At that point I was underweight because I was just drinking and starving myself but it was Mm. so I could feel better mentally and the other things are are a great benefit but it's the mental discipline it's the confidence it's the sense of community um it's and it's fun it's really fun so that Uh just I mean immediately I started to feel better And at that point, I remember him handing me a piece of paper that said, oh, here are the requirements for testing for a black belt. And I thought, black belt? I I don't, I just want to come back for the next white belt class. I didn't even think about that. Um, And so eventually, (laughs) once I got into it, I would go, oh, yeah, totally. I want to test for blue belt, red belt, black belt. And you do, you do start chasing after those accomplishments because it's just so much fun and you want to learn it. Um, But I loved how I was feeling. And I was having a lot of these insights about life and was building my self-awareness so much to the point that I had to get out out of my head. And that is how my blog started. So I started my blog, uh, littleblackbelt.com in 2014. And at at the time, I I think it was a play on the little black dress. You know, that's your best accessory Uh is a little black belt. And I, I think I'd mentioned to you earlier, I wish I'd called it Taekwondo Diva. But I, I can deal with a little black belt. That's okay. I, I do have a little black dress. I like fashion. So little black belt it was. And I was seeing my, it was kind of interesting because it was helping me observe my mental health journey from almost this outsider's perspective as I was writing about it. And writing is a great mm-hmm. thing. I started journaling finally when, my, uh, when I started listening to my therapist doing that. But writing about my experience in Taekwondo what I was learning, how I was changing was really helping me fill that void on the inside um, and fill it with belief in myself and whatever that validation I was seeking, I could get that from myself. Now, at the time, the timing is funny because right when I got into Taekwondo, I met that boyfriend, the the narcissistic gaslighting boyfriend, because I wasn't out of the woods yet. I was at a very vulnerable point. So, you know, at the time I thought, okay, great. Hey, life is turning around. I'm in this relationship with this guy who thinks I'm wonderful. I'm doing Taekwondo. And you see the journey of me growing mentally and emotionally, but still struggling on the relationship front. And that was a, it was a very hard lesson I just had to learn uh, throughout that journey. I, I, do, I really don't regret that relationship because I think I had to go through it to break that habit, to break yeah. that spell. Um Yes. Yeah. Calling it forth and being able to say, I'm ready for this challenge mm-hmm. now. You know, like you literally went to combat. Yeah, I did, you know, and, <laughs> and, and for a while, I think I compartmentalized um, the growth I was having in Taekwondo because I was becoming more 
uh, more confident and, and uh, somebody at work said I was, I was funnier. So I think my personality was coming out a little bit more at work, at home, but this relationship, it was still kind of stagnating. And even my mother would notice things and say, hey, you're writing about self-development and growth and, and letting go of your problems on your blog, but you're still trapped in this relationship. And that's another thing is um, for, for the people who are outside observing their loved ones, it's, they can get very frustrated. And it was kind of funny. I read an early review of my book and um, the person was saying, I was getting so frustrated with Melanie because she didn't see that this was an unhealthy relationship and she couldn't get out. <laughs> and I thought, well, yeah. And that's the thing about abuse is that you have these blinders on. You're completely yeah. blinded. And, and that's why it's so frustrating for both the person in it and the person outside and say, well, just leave. Well, yeah, <laughs> if you could do that, nobody would be in an abusive relationship. But there are so many factors at play. Um, fortunately for me, I didn't have you know, I, I, I wasn't relying on him for finances or anything like that. He actually lived in my house. So, you know, mm. uh, finances were fine. Um, he wasn't physically abusive. We had no children together. We didn't have those big things tying us together that some people, um, unfortunately it's very real and it is very hard for them to leave. But, um, yeah, mentally, Everything else in my life was growing, but I guess if, if you're looking at the relationship puzzle piece, I was completely blind with that. I was still stuck. I couldn't see past it. That's, that's um, it's definitely pivotal once we allow ourselves to see those blinders. And um, I know those that are going to uh, read your book, uh, Kicking and Screaming Memoirs, that they're that you're gonna help uh, uplift so many individuals that will now be able to see their blinders because your 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 journey hit um, a lot of um, targeted emotions that uh, people are struggling with to get through, and I love that you found an outlet um, to be able to channel this energy to be able to provide structure to what you we're actually looking to experience and um, inner peace has been uh, a self care um, action step that I teach my clients all the time. And being able to know what your inner peace looks like um, is, is vital. So uh, how, how, how do you see your inner peace being different compared to before you uh, were able to be a part of your martial arts? Like what was your inner peace before your martial arts versus how your inner peace? Yeah, is that's at a now? great question. I think my inner peace didn't exist before, um, <laughs> before, before I did martial arts. Now I, I have practiced yoga since I was 18 and, and I think that has mm -hmm. helped more than I give it credit for more than I noticed just because it's always been there. I took a class in college and I've done it ever since I, I turned 42 in July. So that tells you how long I've done it. So I had those flashes in those moments. And I think, um, you know, before I, before I started chasing relationships and things like that, I, I enjoyed my passions, which was reading books and, and drawing and writing. And, and I'm kind of getting back to those childhood activities. So um, it really didn't exist when I was in my tumultuous twenties and thirties as I was seeking 
peace through external things, um, material things. Um, my, my body, it, it, you know, I've got body image issues. So that was chasing that perfect body or, or the relationship of somebody who validates me and says you are worthy. So it really wasn't there. Um, and Taekwondo, first of all, it's a great distraction. I mean, sometimes the best thing I've said, this is to pull you into the present is being in a fighting match. It is wonderful. <laughs> a yeah. sparring match. Now you love the person you're sparring, but you're also trying to kick them in the head and they're trying to do the same thing to you because that even more than mm-hmm. yoga or swimming or other physical things I've done, that pulls me into the absolute present moment where you, you can't focus on anything else. And sometimes it's nice to have that distraction. So not, maybe not everybody wants to go, you know, gear up and be in a sparring match, but whatever, if you can find something music, taking a walk, cooking, something that pulls you into a completely present moment, that's a great way to find inner peace. Uh, For me, sometimes uh, painting the rooms in my house, um, every every room in my condo is a different color, is is, uh, that because you have to be so focused. And so if you can find something that Mm. puts your focus on something outside yourself, makes you a little self-centered, a little less tunnel vision than you were before, then that can give you that sense of inner peace. Now, sometimes that's temporary. You know, the sparring match will end, your, your art project will end. So it's up to you to start figuring out how to sustain that feeling or how to slip into that focus and feeling of inner peace when things aren't going so well, which I think has been a challenge for a lot of us in this past year with the, the pandemic and everything else that's happened. Yes, immensely, immensely. So is that, one of the things that led you to writing the book, you know, you created the blog, you created an outlet for yourself and you shifting your mental mindset. Uh, it, was it clear and apparent in your mind? Like I'm It really was. Um, I, I come from an artistic family. My dad's a painter. Uh, my brother's a musician and my mom sews and knits and, and cooks and, and does all kinds of things. And I think we're all driven by that compulsion to create. Um, I, I gave my dad a book of portraits and there's a quote by the painter El Greco and he says, I paint because the spirits whisper madly inside my head. And that is why I write because <laughs> the spirits whisper madly. My head fills up with words. I have to get it out. It's like an exorcism. That's how the blog started. But but the, the book did too. And, and part of it was, well, I think I can write a pretty good story, but it's also, I bet there are a lot of other people like me. And this story can connect with them, whether they do martial arts or not. The, the people who are like, you know, the people who are in abusive relationships and you don't really see them. There are a lot of people who have mental illness who don't look like what we typically see in the media. I mean, it's it, there are a lot of stereotypes, which kind of feeds into the stigma. But that's, that's a whole other problem. But when we think about mental health often in popular culture, it's it's hospitalizations, it's electroshock treatment, it's running around chopping people up or things like that. It's, but there are a lot of us who have mental illness or mental health issues who can, who are just functioning in society. And, and that may be because we feel like that's all we can do. And that's how I felt is, well, I mean, what's the alternative? I've got to pay bills. I've got to go to work. Um, but a lot of us have it and it's just a part of who we are. It doesn't define us, but we're suffering in silence. And there may be a way to find an outlet to help you grow. Um, And something I learned from going through this Taekwondo training and even in this past year with the pandemic is that 
you know, seek, seek help where you need it, whether it's talking to a therapist, doing a sport, uh, even for me taking medications, it works. So, you know, that's, that's something you consult with a doctor on, but it's also taking responsibility to make whatever those changes are in your life. And I think that was part of my problem for a while is I was sitting back passively hoping something would fix me. Um, and that this is not, I don't want people to misinterpret this, me saying, well, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and fix it. No, 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 that's not what I mean. Um, but it is, it is a conscious choice to seek treatment, to seek other people who can help you to seek activities that can, you know, even just distract you. Um, and to, to do some self awareness work to discover what are things that you can do. So try to empower yourself. Are there choices you're making? Are there mental habits you have? Are there ways that you're reacting that don't serve you? And uh, journaling has helped me a lot with that because you can see things objectively and writing on the blog was helpful. Um, and going through Taekwondo mm -hmm. is that it gave you this sense of responsibility is that I'm, I'm responsible for, you know, I'm responsible for keeping my partner safe, even if we're fighting each other. Um, I'm responsible for, for uh, keeping other people safe. I started teaching kids and other students. I'm responsible for them. Well, I'm responsible for my mental and emotional wellness too. Part of that is getting help from professionals. Yes. And part of that is maybe looking at, um, am I making some bad choices? Am I um, doing things that harm other people? Am I doing things that harm myself that I have the power to stop? A greatly, greatly uh, learning to instill some type of diagnostic check because, you know, when we start off with an intention, we know that things can get turned left and right and sometimes up and down. So we always want to recheck and create a, um, a mark to where we're like, okay, around these times, we're going to reevaluate ourselves and not to to take away from what we're giving for ourselves is just to make sure that we're, we're giving ourselves to the best of our abilities and what our initial true intention was for these outcomes to manifest. And I really love um, the fact that, you know, hearing from another person that's just filled with words and they know that they have the, the dialogue to be able to, paint a picture for others to be able to follow and to not just follow yours, but to be inspired to see what they can aspire to. And it's, um, it's very empowering. Uh, I, 2021 will be the first year that I step forward to being an author as well. And I'm going to be um, putting out there my, my divine writings I call them my spirit writings and um, the story is, is pretty similar to the, to how your blog started at first. It was just uh, like just exercising its right to just speak through my fingers and the pen and the paper. So I'm, I'm happy that, you know, I'm, I'm walking in this walk and I'm, I'm looking left and I'm looking right and I'm seeing the other individuals that are actually walking in that direction with me as well. And no matter where it is, we are in the world, how we find each other will happen because we're, we're willing it into our reality. So I thank you um, for sharing your journey, for taking yourself um, through the ringer and actually into <laughs> Literally. the ring. Literally. <laughs> 
figuratively. (laughs) And, you know, you really shed some light on some really good points um, about while you're sparring, you got to make sure your partner that you're sparring with is safe just as much as you're safe. And, And that is a tango that the masculine and feminine energy is always looking to balance, always trying to bring into consideration how can I give just enough to where it's not depleting me and taking away from what mm-hmm. I'm giving myself? Yeah, and it's something that I was doing that was depleting myself um, was very self-destructive behavior of blaming everybody else for my problems. Now, there are things that happen to us that are beyond our control. Uh, a lot of that, again, 2020 was a big example of that. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about things of, you know, I'd say, well, why doesn't anyone like me? Why are my relationships always fail? Why this? Why that? And I know one time I, I was saying something like that on Facebook. This was uh, many years ago. And a friend commented, he didn't, he was calling me out without calling me out. And he said, you know, Melanie, if you keep doing what you're doing, you'll keep getting what you're getting. And that's all he said, you know, mic drop. And I thought it was one, I know. And I just thought, oh, uh, wow. Okay. Um, you know, if you keep, keep it up with the status quo, keep up the same behaviors. Yeah. You're going to keep getting the same results. And so the underlying message was maybe you need to do something different. And, and I've actually used that a lot in, yeah. in my job. Uh, I, I uh, work for a healthcare organization in their training and development department. So I've done some corporate training. I've taught leadership classes. And I think I was teaching an accountability course. And I told that story. And uh, people had the same reaction of, whoa, that's, it's very simple and it's very powerful. I'm like, yeah, I mean, you can, you can keep doing what you're doing. And if you're happy with that, fine. But uh, obviously, you're, obviously you're not, or we wouldn't be having this conversation. So uh, that's, again, where things like journaling and martial arts and things that, that really force you to look inward, um, force you to, to sometimes make some choices and, and come to some realization about yourself. And it's humbling because you realize, oh, okay, I'm not this perfect being whom people are mistreating necessarily. I, I'm a human being, too, and I'm flawed, and there are things I'm doing that are just destroying myself and destroying my relationships. Yes, that's amazing. And you know, it's so funny that you say that quote, because I was telling my kids at three o'clock in the morning, because they were awake. I said, listen, I'm not here to tell you how to do things. But I definitely need you to understand that there's a time that we step back from our doing and ask ourselves, who Mm. are we being? You know, and it's in and, and, and that's really like the flip side of in order for you to change the results of what you're doing, you, you want to look at what you're being. And yeah, that really that's seems powerful like because I think we can cut very caught up in the doing. Um, and I'm one of those people that, that re- mm-hmm. recovering perfectionist, not quite there is <laughs> doing, doing, doing all the time. Um, and um so much to the point, uh, this is not in the book, this will probably be the sequel, is that uh, I tore my ACL last July doing Taekwondo two days after my 41st birthday, go figure. So uh, having a life-changing surgery, uh, an injury, uh, forces you, I mean, it forces you literally to slow down and just kind of be. Now, as far Mm -hmm. as Taekwondo, I'll I'll get back to that. I'm I'm recovering Mm -hmm. fine and everything, but 
um, that has definitely been a lesson in being. And, uh, you know, who am I if I can't practice Taekwondo? Am I still Melanie the Black Belt? And I thought, well, yes, I am. Um, that's the great thing about martial arts is that it stays with you. Um, Taekwondo stayed with me um, when I was younger, even when I wasn't practicing it. And it's, it's, it's still waiting for me when I come back. Um, I was at a, a banquet years ago and I heard Olympian Jackie Galloway give a speech. And she said, Taekwondo is, is always there. And it's always with you. And I thought that was that was wonderful because mm -hmm. I've had moments where I've had to walk away. Um, and this this injury has forced me to stay away. But there's this residual effect of um, what I've gained over the last several years of practicing it is all the, the mental uh, stability is there. The, the fortitude, the perseverance. Uh, perseverance is one of the tenets of Taekwondo is that it stayed with me and it's gotten me through what's been a rough year for everybody and what's been a rough year for me personally. Um, so, so I, I, I don't regret that. I really don't regret the injury at all because had I, had I not gotten into Taekwondo, I'd be in that same place, blaming everybody, making myself miserable, right. um, just suffering needlessly. So, so honestly, the, the physical injury is, is easier to deal with than mm -hmm. the mental pain that I was in. Oh my gosh, it's so much. And uh, if I can uh, up, uh, share some upliftment, not for just you, for others that experience injuries, a lot of time an injury comes into play because I, I let me be the first to say I'm injury based, <laughs> okay? <laughs> so, but I've learned that um, in order to be happy, we got to meet our suffering. So if we experience a suffering that we didn't plan, we just need to allow ourselves to plan our suffering ahead of time so that it'll be blended in with our happiness. So um, sometimes that suffering is just doing other things that we think that we don't need to do because you got to suffer through your mindset with that, right? So just being able to see like, what else can I bring in that I acknowledge to be my suffering first so that as I'm doing the things that make me happy, I, I supply that balance uh, and, and that's really taking it deeper and deeper into the being mm -hmm. in this situation. And I really love that. So now we're, we're, we're at the end, you know, we really, um, we really touched some hot topics um, about um, surviving abusive relationships um, how to segue out of those type of situations and uh, want to use this last few minutes to just highlight some empowered tips for our audience. Um, what advice do you have for being able to, you know, heal from these situations? What kind of, um, you know, in the moment kind of techniques do, did you use are utilized to relieve your stress as you were transitioning from the mindset that you had before to now this discipline. I've had a good one that just for your life. happened to me uh, not too long ago. So I'm, I'm finally able to do yoga again with my knee injury. And kind of the nice thing is, is it's, it's changed my relationship with my body and, and with my mind and everything else. And, um, even though I'm in a different place mentally, I still worry. I still have this tendency toward anxiety. And I was in a yoga class. And it was my second one back um, post-op. 
And I started to kind of mull over something I was worried about with work because that's just what I like to do. I like to fill, it's like daydreaming, but it's day nightmares. <laughs> it's, it's just filling your mind with anxiety. And <laughs> something deep inside me said, you don't have to solve it here. And I kind of hugged my knee because we were in a, a pose and I just thought, oh, wow, I don't. I don't need to sit here and mentally distract myself yeah. and mentally remove myself from this really great healing moment for my body and my mind with a worry about something that probably won't happen. So it popped up in my mind again as I was driving home, um, popped up in my mind in physical therapy. It's even popped up during my work day. I start to kind of mull over something because it's just a, it's such a, an ingrained habit, unfortunately. But I kept telling myself, you don't have to solve it here. And it doesn't mean the problem will go away on mm. its own or you don't have to address it at some point. What it, what it means to me is that uh, you don't have to spend energy, uh, at, you know, unnecessarily worrying about something in the future or mulling over something in the past that's making you miss out what's happening in the present. Very often, very often these things work themselves out yeah. in ways that you couldn't have planned if you spent all your time just worrying and mulling over it and torturing yourself. That is, that is beautiful. Thank you, Melanie, for that empowered tip. That is so um, powerfully and strong. I myself am a yoga instructor and I, I uh, sing at the mountaintops of how much um, yoga is, is part of the being that mm -hmm. helps us do the doing. Yeah, and yeah, that was great because it, it so. changed my relationship with yoga. I'd kind of gotten to a point where I thought, well, this is something I do. I've done it for almost 25 years. And having that little epiphany reminded me that, oh, no, this is something that will keep evolving your entire life, is that yoga keeps giving as long as you let it. Yes, yes. And I just want to re- um, stay an empowered tip I heard you say while you were talking um, which was stay in the present mm -hmm. and and uh, and just ask yourself who can you be for us today who can you be for us today um, being able to know that you know when we're trying to release past hurts or past traumas uh, it, it will not be able to just dis disappear, mm. but it can dissipate. So the more just remind ourselves to just stay present. Like, where did I get myself today? And who, who am I being for me today? Um, that's that's uh, something that we can remind ourselves to reflect back on when we're reminding ourselves of the things that are mm -hmm. maybe that's a great way to look at it is that it, it dissipates rather than disappears because sometimes the the scary memories come back or the pain comes back or or every you know the modern day stressors happen um but that's and we can get scared and think oh no here i go again i'm going to that painful mental place but like you said staying focused and present and knowing that, that this will pass I, I can show up for who i am today be thankful for all i've been able to do for how i've grown and how i've changed and so you can get through those painful mm -hmm. memories of those painful thoughts. Yes. Yes. That is so beautiful. Oh, I feel so filled. Thank you so much, Melanie. I am so thankful to having you on the show today. 
And uh, is there anything else that you would like to share with the audience before um, you share how to find Give it? yourself some grace. I've had people say this to me, so I know it's easier said than done, but do give yourself some grace, uh, especially if you're a recovering perfectionist. Um, care for yourself the way you would care and, and be gentle with a friend who's struggling. So if you're struggling, um, give yourself grace for struggling and, and help yourself through it in a way that you would help somebody that you love. Because that shows that you love yourself. Thank you. Thank you so much. And please share with the audience. They can find me in a couple of ways. I am on uh, Instagram and Facebook and Twitter under Melanie Gibson author. And my blog is littleblackbelt.com, just like little black dress, but it's a belt. And then uh, most recently, I've got a book coming out, and it's called Kicking and Screaming, A Memoir of Madness and Martial Arts. Uh, You can find it on bookshop.com, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your indie bookshops, really anywhere that books are sold. You can buy it in print form or you can buy it in e-form if that's what you prefer. Awesome. And you'll find that link in the description because we are going to make sure we promote everything that you've offered for me to add into the description because I want our audience to be able to find their authentic healing however possible. So thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Thank you to the audience. And I just want to shout out my tribe as well that is out there um, leading the forefront of the healing the world. Uh, spiritually saucy can be found on facebook magnetic minds underscore 27 is also found on facebook i want to also shout out my group which is the faceless massless awareness group which is also found on facebook and if you are looking for more commentary or educational ways to lean into your spirit find me on youtube which is elite motivation 411 If you are looking to be a part of a group setting where everyone else is healing, creating mindfulness and meditating together, find us on the Meetup app. We are the mission of Sarah Hall Ott, and that's S-A-R-A-H-A-L-A-L-T. And you can find that in my link tree link that will be in the description. I greatly appreciate you all. Thank you so much. This is Mahatma Starseed. Remember, we're out here to tune into our frequency, balance our vibes, and align with the tribe. Much love and light. Bye, everyone.